Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, my panel, we've got the columnist for the Mail on Sunday, Peter Hitchens, and the filmmaker, Kerry Dinkle. Good evening to both of you. Good evening. And you know the drill on Jubes and Co, don't you? It's not just about us here and our thoughts. It's about you at home and yours. What's on your mind tonight? Get in touch with me, gbviews at gbnews.uk is the email. Uh, you can tweet me as well on gbnews or at Michelle Jubes. Lots of you getting in touch already about Shamima Begum. Uh, you're not uh, mincing your words, that is for sure. We'll be doing that story uh, a little bit later on in the programme, should she be allowed to return to the UK? Uh, if you're someone that screams uh, capital letters into my inbox, absolutely not. Are there any circumstances at all that would make you change your mind? What about if someone says, I don't know, don't you want her to face justice? Uh, tell me your thoughts and we'll come to that a little bit later on in the programme. Uh, some of you must have been watching last night as well because you're email me, emailing me about curry sauce. Uh, that was last night's topic. No, I still don't like it. No, I would never uh, suggest anyone has it. And no, I have not changed my mind. So there you go. Uh, right. On to tonight's top story. The former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev died yesterday, aged 91. Now, I like to get straight to the point, so take a look at this. Gorbachev. Это из-за него у нас в экономике бардак. Да благодаря ему у нас новые возможности. Это из-за него у нас политическая нестабильность. Да благодаря ему у нас свобода. Полный хаос. Перспективы. Политическая нестабильность. Да благодаря ему у нас есть писахат. Sometimes nothing brings people together like a nice hot pizza from Pizza Hut. Now, if you're listening to me on the radio right now and you're thinking, what on earth's going on? Uh, I'll explain it briefly. Uh, that was an advert for Pizza Hut uh, back in 1998. And it was all about, uh, for me, one of the hearts of the matter when it comes to the legacy of Mikhail Gorbachev. Very uh, divisive. Some would say that those in the West uh, love him. He's a hero to many. Uh, some would say that many in Russia think he was a villain. The essence uh, of that advert that, as I said, was from a few years ago sums it up quite well uh, if you ask me lots of people divided chaos uh, one would cry opportunity the other would cry and in the end they all united uh, around a pizza pizza hitchens i played that deliberately because i thought it was quite a simplistic way of pulling everything together but i wonder i've got one of your uh, comment pieces uh, which you've written today i think your column and what you're asking and i think it's a great question you're wondering more and more if the world is better off thanks to Gorbachev. War in Ukraine, uh, you pointed out a united Germany uh, whose huge power has unbalanced the whole of Europe. You say Britain's influence and prestige in the world have sunk. So where do you sit? Not on the fence. 
Well, I was in Russia and, in fact, in the Soviet Union during the last months of Gorbachev's rule. And he's very like Margaret Thatcher in this way, in that far more people in foreign countries admire him than in his own. Uh, he was deeply unpopular in, in, in Russia for a number of reasons. He, they, people felt that he, he had mismanaged the reforms uh, that he'd set out to do, that he'd made the country in many ways worse, and they, he'd also sent it down the plug hole. And they took, took this view very strongly. Well, the outside world, he was revered as a great statesman and someone who had, who had done the right thing and dismantled a an appalling regime, which of course he did do. Uh, I don't think that anybody can doubt that he was a decent person motivated by the, by the best of intentions. But it's certainly true uh, that he made an enormous mess of the country he tried to reform. He knew almost nothing about economics, and you could tell. And the, the many, many people lost secure jobs and they lost secure homes. They probably weren't safe in the long term anyway, and the, the Soviet Union was a fool's paradise. But to accept the idea uh, that you should bring in market forces into a country of that kind uh, was, of course, the most gigantic folly. And Yeltsin, who succeeded him, followed with that and turned the, the country into an autocracy, uh, by the time he left, into an autocracy increasingly governed by oligarchs and chaos. So it has to be questioned, doesn't it, whether we... Uh, you, he's, he's died. We speak with, uh, with respect to him. It has to be... The question has to be asked whether he was a good thing or a bad thing. For this country, I think in general probably a bad thing. I think this country did pretty well out of the Cold War. Uh, we were safe. Uh, we were prosperous. Our standing was high. Uh, we had very few problems with our European neighbours. Since the end of the Cold War, most of those things have ceased to be the case. Caroline Gull, amongst other films, by the way, um, you're responsible for the Russian Revolution and why it matters. So where do you stand on it all? Um, well, just to say that the film about 1917 is kind of rather a long way from uh, Gorbachev and nothing to do with it. So it looks at the that film, which I'd recommend, looks at an era where agency really mattered in terms of people trying to change society and get rid of czarism. But Gorbachev, I think uh, Peter makes some valid points. I think I remember Gorby mania in 89. And I think on the world stage, as well as domestically for Russians, he was completely overrated, to be honest. And I think we have to understand that the Soviet Union at that time was imploding. And the idea that it was perestroika and glasnost and it was all the policies of this one man changing everything, rather than responding to what was actually going on, um, is is a very limited view. And Gorbachev did some pretty horrible things. You know, he's, nobody's a fan of Gorby in uh, Lithuania or Latvia or Ukraine for that matter, because he did support uh, the annexation of Crimea. It seems to be on the Western stage that he's seen as the great peacemaker. Um, I, I, I think Gorbachev was <clears throat> able to take advantage of Western leaders who were similarly trying to grandstand on the world stage because of their failed domestic support, actually. So sounds like a bit like a plague on all their houses. Um, uh, but that's uh, my view of it. And I don't think that we can sort of... I certainly wouldn't agree with Peter's idea that the Cold War was a good thing. It might have been good for Western leaders to have something to rail against, to stand tall against. Oh, we're good because they're bad. Um, 
but I certainly wouldn't think it was a good thing. It wasn't good, a good thing for people all over the world. Well, I think it's a question of, if you, I didn't say the Cold, Cold War was a good thing as such, I said it was good for Britain. Uh, and it was a period of stability, it was a period of peace. Uh, nuclear deterrence actually did work during the Cold War very effectively, and I think we now have reached a stage in, in, in Ukraine where actual nuclear war is now a possibility in a way that it simply wasn't during the years of the Cold War. Uh, I think there are all kinds of other problems, but what I remember in, in, in this country before the Cold War ended was that, I say, we were more important, we were more stable, we were safer. And the other thing, which is absolutely fascinating to me, is that because it was a Cold War against a horrible communist tyranny, which it was, it was impossible for the government to use that war as an excuse to suppress freedom at home. Now we've moved on to the supposed wars against terror and such like. They don't have that restraint on them, and our governments are much, much more willing to attack freedom in this country than they ever were during the Cold War. I, I feel much less free in speech and thought uh, than I did during the Cold War period. And the other great results of the Cold War, which was the the left-wing movements, the Marxist movements in the West, which had up till then been restrained by the fact that everybody connected them with the Kremlin and this horrible, stupid regime which invaded Hungary and Czechoslovakia and crushed uh, Solzhenitsyn and, uh, and Sakharov, that this was, their, this was their ally and friend. And the left in the West was very much restrained by this link. Once the Soviet Union collapsed and you couldn't say, oh, you're the, you're, you're the friends of Moscow anymore, the left became much, much stronger and more confident and have, in fact, become much more dominant in our politics than they could ever have become during the Cold War. I'm saying it's a, the, the, whatever, the, the best you can say for Gorbachev is that he was a mixed blessing. Uh, it just, it, you sound like you're describing something um, with a very upside down point of view. I mean, mean I, I think the I end of the Cold War, <laughs> no, I just see things entirely the other way around, Peter. Exactly. You know, the end of the Cold War um, led to a collapse of politics. I wouldn't say the left got strong, stronger. I think the left just became worse. And we've actually seen much less clarification in terms of left and right. Left and right have pretty much, I think those labels barely apply anymore. Well, I, and, I completely disagree. Well, obviously I, I, you well, completely well, I, disagree. I, I, I disagree because you look particularly at the Blair government, a very large num number of members of the Blair cabinet uh, were uh, allegedly former Marxists. An extraordinary you think the Blair government was left-wing? That's just the bizarre. The Blair government was extremely left-wing, uh, but it was able to... It, well, OK, so is, uh, is what we call political correctness, the cultural and sexual revolution, not left-wing? Uh, is the huge increase in government spending and taxation and redistribution not left-wing? Uh, is comprehensive education as an absolute sine qua non of government not left-wing? Is the foreign policy of intervening idealistically in other people's countries not left-wing? It was an extraordinarily left-wing government, and I, I, I knew people involved in it who, who, who said so. And one in particular, a good friend of mine, an industrial correspondent, Philip Bassett, said to me before he went and joined the government after leaving newspapers, you have no idea how extensive and radical this project is. And Peter Hyman, uh, one of Blair's aides, has openly said that uh, he, he regards the, the Blair government as far more radical than anything Jeremy Corbyn ever came up with. It's just people don't, if you've never been a Marxist, as I have been, you don't understand these categories. But the, the number of people in, in Blair's cabinet who were known to be people with Marxist backgrounds, including Blair himself, that he never fessed up to it when he was, when he was in active politics, is enormous. And this all became possible because the Cold War was over. 
Well, I, I entirely disagree with you. If you call Blair's government, you know, that grey, awful, mediocre, globalist uh, mush of awful anti-freedom politics, Marxist, then you're doing Karl Marx a great disservice. Because I have great faith in that 19th century writer and his great belief in abundance and zero time for the Blairite government that did more to take this country on the road to ruin not least what we're going to talk about in a minute in terms of emotional literacy, well, I, I agree the Diana you. death, agree with you a terrible the, amount of things, but ruin. you write this off but, as some great, you know, left-wing thing, and I think it's a nonsense. Well, on the basic, are you, we're, we're obviously not going to agree about the Cultural Revolution and Antonio Gramsci and Eurocommunism, but it, on, the, on the basic points of left-wing policy, such as the huge increases in, in government spending and taxation and redistribution, does that not strike you as even being slightly left-wing? No, not particularly. Look at state spending under you. Thatcher or now under Boris. You know, that's hardly a left-wing thing these days. I don't think left and right matter in the same old way. And I think to get back to Gorbachev, um, it was the left who were slightly off the wall in their support for Gorbachev and Gorby mania and over... Uh, egging what he was responsible for. Well, the fascinating for. thing, the biggest, when, when, when I was at one stage, I was following Gorbachev around, and the, the, there were two visits that he made, one to West and one to East Germany, and those were the ones which were really convulsive. And he, the streets of German cities when Gorbachev visited were absolutely uh, exploding with, the, with enthusiasm because they could see in this man the possibility of... Because German. he left Ger the troops in the base. He they, didn't they, attack East Germans, that's thought, why. They, this is in West Germany. He, they thought that he would bring he would bring unity. And my my um, Christian Mayer, uh, who who was a different British diplomat at the time, very keen observer of this, described the scenes in West Germany as a multiple gorbasm. And then he went to the east, and East Berlin went wild for him. Gorby, Gorby, help us! They were they were they were shouting. Demonstrations broke out in a, in a in a city where they weren't allowed. And in Germany, they really understood. What this meant was the end of the, 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 the Soviet division of Europe, and that obviously meant a complete change in the circumstances of Germany, which has happened. Now, there are many, I, I, I love Germany, I, I, it's a fascinating and wonderful place, but it, its reunification was a very sensitive issue. Its reunification was a really great thing, but I wouldn't um, oh, wouldn't put it down to Gorbachev particularly. The main thing was Absolute he didn't Gorbachev. he didn't call the send the troops in. That was the best thing um, that happened. Whereas he did elsewhere. Let me bring um, it back to current day, if I may. Uh, the day after. Uh, the 24th of February, um, Gorbachev apparently issued a statement through his foundation calling for an early uh, cessation of uh, hostilities and immediate start of peace negotiation, uh, negotiations. There is nothing more precious in the world than human lives. You end your article, uh, Peter, by saying uh, that really at the era of peace and security has now gone and is unlikely to return. So briefly, your thoughts. How are we going to end the situation, the appalling situation that uh, is now the case in well, Ukraine? Fascinatingly, in the current edition of Foreign Affairs magazine, there is an article written by two people who are very hostile to Russia, but they point out that very soon after the invasion, something extremely close to an agreement was reached between the Ukrainian and the Russian sides uh, for a, a, an outline agreement by which the war could have been stopped. I have to ask myself why this did not happen. 
Oh, are, they, are the people who, want, who actually want this war to go on? I, I, I say over and over again, I am amazed. There has never been a major war on this scale in recent years when there's been so little effort to end it. Uh, do you think it's going to end anytime soon? Because my view is at home. We'll be sitting here thinking this is all uh, fascinating and all the rest of it. But they're deeply concerned about the war in Europe because, among other reasons, uh, the cost of living in this country is well, going to spiral out of control at uh, longer. Exactly. And not just this country. In much of Europe, this winter, people are going to experience the, uh, privation in terms of energy and heat that they haven't experienced for many, many years. And it will be clear to them that this is a, a direct result of this war. I think at that point, the ability of the European nations to maintain support for the war continuing will be much diminished. On the other hand, there are people who really want it to go on. Obviously, that's why it's still going on. I don't know. I wish it would end uh, because I hate war. And that's, Gorbachev hated war. It's one of the things, when he went round the country, the thing he discovered most of all was that everybody in the old Soviet Union hated war. They'd had quite enough of it between 1941 and 1945. Kerry Dingle, final words to you. Um, who doesn't hate war? But I think that's mm. demeaning of Ukrainian citizens who, you know, what, what position does that leave them in? You know, losing effectively. I think the West should, you know, uh, wake up and do far more to ensure that Ukrainian liberation wins. When and you say far more, what do you mean? Because I mean, billions and billions and billions uh, of military assistance, of humanitarian aid, there's been training. What more would you have them do? Well, you know, personally, I don't mind if uh, the West moves in to, to stop what, Putin. You would have Western boots on the ground in Ukraine? I would, if that's, if people in Britain think that's a wise move, yeah, I would actually. Would your, you or members of your family be involved in that? In the yeah, probably, just as I'd have fought in the Spanish Civil War too. And wouldn't you be worried about an escalation? Because for, I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago now, we used to talk about uh, NATO enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine. There was lots of people that called for that without perhaps uh, appreciating the potential consequences of the escalation that that would cause. So when you say maybe put Western boots on the ground, don't you worry a little bit about the uh, potential escalation, particularly uh, when, when it comes to things like nuclear weapons? I think sovereignty matters that much, that we have to do everything we can to safeguard it. I think without sovereignty, we have no democracy, we have nothing. And so I think we have got skin in the game in terms of back in Ukraine, and we have to do whatever it takes. Nobody wants to see boots on the ground. And I think that, you know, if if... Russia can now say escalation, escalation, wherever it wants to go in the world, it means that we just, what, hang back because they, the, this threat of nuclear escalation hangs over us. China is, I think then, then we just give China, in to tyranny. China has seized Tibet without anybody stopping them. But leaving that aside, do you, I'd just like to check something with you. Do you think the borders of Europe uh, cannot be altered under any circumstances? I don't think the borders of Europe are for you and I to decide, Peter. We well, can decide on the borders of our own country, although we're not on, doing on a very good job in relation to the EU. Because I would point out that the, the many Western countries have recognised the creation of a new state in Kosovo. And they recognised it on the basis that the people living in Kosovo considered themselves to be Kosovars, didn't want to be ruled by Serbs. A large part of the problem in Ukraine remains the fact that there are considerable numbers of people in that country who actually consider themselves to be Russians and increasingly don't 
don't wish to be ruled by Ukrainians. Do you think that that should just be left? I, I think that actually that's become Without a very any, good any kind excuse of for Putin. I do not believe that Putin's invasion was because of minorities in the Lushank region or in the Donbass or in Crimea for that reason, and that that was what motivated uh, Putin. The Ukrainians that I'm working with and the refugees that I'm working with all speak Russian and weren't allowed to speak anything else. They were brought up with that and forced to speak those things and they want an independent country. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery, keeping me company till seven o'clock tonight, the columnist for the Mail on Sunday, Peter Hitchens, and the filmmaker, Kerry Dingle. Now, uh, can you believe this? There's certain moments in time, isn't there, that are etched on your mind. The death of Princess Diana, of course, for many of you, will be one of them. But get this, it was a quarter of a century ago today that it occurred. Can you even believe that? I can remember uh, exactly when I where I was when I heard that news. She, of course, uh, died in a car crash in Paris alongside her boyfriend, Dirty Fired, and uh, their driver, Henri Paul. Uh, now, after her death, the royal family... Uh, faced a huge amount of criticism about the way she was treated after a divorce from Prince uh, Charles uh, and on and on it went. The criticism growing louder, it felt, uh, by the day. Kerry Dingle, there's certain kind of turning points uh, in life, aren't they? And it's got me wondering whether the death of Princess Diana almost kind of kick-started um, what some would call the decline in the monarchy in this country. What's your thoughts? I don't think it kick-started the decline. I mean, if we look at, you know, the monarchy now, um, you know, Diana wasn't responsible for Prince Charles talking to plants or for Meghan and Harry turning their back on the whole idea of public service. So, you know, Diana's death wasn't a catalyst for those things. I think the monarchy's been in a long running decline and people, I'm a Republican anyway, but people who do support the monarchy uh, and I've got more sympathy for the Queen than I have for any of the other royals, um, uh, people who uh, do see the monarchy now, especially the younger generation that I work with, tend to see the Queen as just a figurehead. So I don't think Diana was a catalyst for that, Diana's death rather, but I think Diana's death was a catalyst for the public emoting, the collapse of public and private, the rise of therapy culture and emotional literacy, and a quite narcissistic obsession with, you know, grieving in public and all of those things. I mean, Peter was saying that the flowers come out every year. I didn't know that. I remember being on a plane back from Ghana in West Africa and Ghanaians coming up to me and saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what about what? what? oh, your princess has died. And I'd, I'd have to say, well, I'm sorry, she wasn't my princess. I mean, I think she died in an awful Kerry, situation. Can you, say, can you just say thank you for your thoughts or whatever? No, I'd have to be honest, I'm afraid. And of course, very nice of people to think that I'm grieving. Um, terrible car accident from a blooming drunk driver. Horrendous. Uh, awful for her and for her family and those around her and those who loved her. Doesn't mean that I had some great belief in what she represented. And I don't think it made this huge difference in terms of how the palace projected itself, actually. Um, you know, because people were really horrible about the Queen at the time, that she wasn't, she wasn't weeping enough. But she that was fast the, enough to lower the flag. I remember yeah, was and, the but that was the Blair government, definitely pushing all that kind of 
um, what we would now call a woke agenda. Peter? Oh, I was fascinated. You just said, I am a Republican, as if it was a sort of, of course I'm a Republican. I'd love to know, why are you a Republican? Why would I support anybody getting anywhere in life due to the blood in their veins? Why would, I, why would you support anybody getting anywhere in life just because they were elected in an election bought by billionaires and largely run by advertising men? Your preferred system of government, the elected monarchy, has produced Donald Trump. Uh, and George W. Bush is a couple of examples that I doubt very much you approve of. Uh, what's so great about that? Uh, why, why is it... You're not anti-democracy, are you, Peter, uh, in favour of the monarchy? I'm sceptical, like the, the founding fathers of the United States. I'm sceptical about democracy. They, they uh, originally had an unelected Senate for that reason and only got rid of it in about 1915. But oh, no, I, I, th I, I think democracy has to be... Um, has, I'm afraid I support the mass of the people. One of the most, democ uh, most democratic countries in the modern world is Turkey, in which uh, President Erdogan has used democracy to destroy the rule of law, shut down freedom of speech, and close down free media. Uh, democracy is not by any means oh, same, we'll just the, same, tyrants, thing as, the same thing as freedom. So Are I, you a monarchist? I am a monarchist, absolutely. I think if you look at the, the, the number of countries which have been uh, the longest surviving law-governed free countries in the world, most of them are monarchies. Uh, constitutional monarchies, which is a very, very good system of government, which keeps, amongst other things, politicians out of the out of the cocked hats and the uh, and the horse-drawn carriages and the ceremonial side of government, where you really don't want them to be. Now imagine if, if if Blair had been able to, uh, to to become president, what that would have been like. The hideous scenes of him you know, putting on pseudo-military uniforms and capering about the place. This is what you face if there's no monarchy to keep politicians out of that crucial area of life. So do we stick with the monarchy as it is, just keep going and going? Well, it's, it's difficult to sustain because the, most people are not prepared to defend it, just as people weren't prepared to defend the hereditary House of Lords. Uh, which, Good. Well, you say that, but the, 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 the hereditary peers were actually independent. They didn't owe any favours to anybody. The current House of Lords is full of people. So you don't believe in the mass of people, do you, Peter? You believe in these unelected, believe unaccountable <laughs> people and parasites, it well, must be said, whereas the mass of ordinary people cannot be trusted to make good decisions because they might put someone in power that you don't like. No, it's, it's not, actually that the monarchy has no power. Well, they, they has, do, actually. It has, it, has, it has no power. They're not just it's, figureheads, are it's, they? It has, it has, it's, it's similar to the king on the chessboard. It, it, it can do almost nothing except prevent other people from occupying its square. That's what it does. Uh, there, is, there, is, there is no power in the monarchy. There's far more power in the BBC than there is in the monarchy, and you don't, they're not elected. Well, I'm not supporting the BBC either, as it no happens. Control, we have so no, if, we if, perhaps but, shouldn't go there but tonight. Here's the thing. So many people on the left, they say, oh, I'm a Republican. I'm against all this, all this stuff. And they're against, they say, well, it's, it's, it's not democratic. And yet there are huge institutions in this country which are far more in need of reform and which have far more power, in which you're totally uninterested in, in reforming. What is this, uh, I, I won't say obsession because it's rude, preoccupation with the monarchy as a, as, as a thing? I don't so have a preoccupation with the monarchy. It's a question on the show tonight because of Diana's death. I think there is a problem with all the mourning and all the rest of it. I've already said I've got a bit of time for the Queen because at least she represents something to do with public service, whereas your Meghans and Harrys don't. Uh, but I don't think as an institution it's a good thing. I do think it's anti-democratic. And at the end of the day, in the event of war or something like that, the Queen can be looked to to override democracy. So they have no power at the moment. It's all, so, you know, did, but it could be used. And I don't think that people, democracy? according to the, their blue blood... Um, 
should lord it over the rest of us or have this extraordinary and ridiculous wealth. Do you know you can't even film on the banks of the Thames because it's all crown lounge without paying £600 a minute if you're a charity. There are, if you die and you don't leave a will, your money, go, your your inheritance goes to the crown. And the Queen, it's an the, extraordinary and the queen puts it, the queen puts it when you, you, parasitic you're situation. Yeah, the, crown mean, the crown means the state, as you know. The Queen doesn't put the money in her handbag that comes from... No, she doesn't have it in her handbag, but it, she, it counts not, as... The, no, crown and state isn't identical when it comes to inheritance or when it comes to land in London, You're deliberately Peter. No, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. I've had to look into it. So yes. what, what would you have happened to the monarchy then? I'm, do you know I'm not that fussed what happens to the monarchy? I think they might might want to retain them as a, a tourist attraction, but that's it. We wouldn't give them palaces and huge amounts of taxpayers' money but how are they or a the land attraction. Then, if they don't have a no palace, what are they going to do? Be in a council house? Well, maybe just I think lots of tourists might come if they were doing the cleaning. What? So you'd want Prince Harry? Um, oh yeah, I'd love to see Harry and Prince Meghan William do the cleaning. That would be good. The cleaning where? Well, I don't know. They could clean the walls of the palace or something, couldn't they? Or do a bit of sweeping up in the grounds. Do a few, you know, deliveries for Amazon or something. This isn't serious, is it? Really? I mean, I, I, mean, I really, we've, I really we've, don't. We've, 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 I have we've, no we've time for these. Through several hundred years of extreme. <laughs> of, 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 and extreme, you think these of, people are so superior that they should have I, this I, great I, lot I, in I, life, I have, Peter? I have, I have no particular liking for the people. I think the institution is valuable. Oh, I see. It's I the institution it keeps, now. I think it would always has been with me. I think it keeps the it, it, it keeps this country stable. Keeps I the said, nasty minions I've said in that check. The, most of the countries in the world. Which are the longest lasting uh, law governed free countries are constitutional monarchies. It's not, this isn't an accident. It's, you're quite unlikely to find a torture chamber in a constitutional monarchy. Uh, the United States, on the other hand, has recently appointed <laughs> a, a, a CIA. Had, a CIA we've had torture chambers all over the world the United, under the monarchy. United, the United States officially, uh, uh, the, the, the officially endorses torture. It's a, the, 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 the Republic you so admire. Most of the really bad countries in the world, from, 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 from North Korea to the People's Republic of China, are republics. Why is it you're so keen on this form of government? Which because so, I think... In, in so many cases... The mass of ordinary is, people is like me and even you are better placed to to make decisions and run our lives and run society. We're not asking to make decisions. Well, we're not allowed to make those decisions. We're not even allowed to decide who's going to be the next prime minister. Just a few, you know, conservative members can. Well, then there's a general election. Yeah, and we need the general election as soon as possible. And I would have a referendum to get rid of the monarchy. I would have a referendum to get rid of net zero. I would have all sorts of referendums, which you probably wouldn't approve of, Peter. I don't. Because you think democracy's Problematic. No, I think we're a parliamentary system, and if you have referendums, then you, you have a constitutional crisis, as the referendum over the European Union proved. We had years of constitutional crisis because you had two democratic mandates Great referendum fighting it was each other. Too. Well, it may have been, but the, but the, the problem was you had an elected parliament which was against leaving the European Union and a, a mandate from a referendum which was in favour. And the two fought each other for years during which the country was barely governed at all. And we ended up with, with Theresa May, for goodness sake. That's what happens if you have referendums in a parliamentary democracy. Mm. Germany, mm. as I say, a country which I admire in many ways, does not have referendums except on very, very strictly limited issues to do with territory. Well, there you go, mixed opinions. To put it mildly, uh, 
Where do you stand on some of this? Uh, should Prince William um, be doing the cleaning? Are you, should, should we do away with the monarchy? Uh, I've got to say, the House of Lords, many people would agree with you on that, but perhaps not uh, when it comes to the royal family. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery. Keeping me company through to 7 o'clock tonight, my panel. We've got the columnist for the Mail on Sunday, Peter Hitchens, and the filmmaker, Kerry Dingle. If you just tuned in, uh, you've missed the debate about Mikhail Gorbachev and are we ever going to reach peace in Ukraine and what would that look like? And also the royal family, Kerry, uh, basically saying that she wants done with them and they can all get on to doing the cleaning. Hmm, lots of divided opinions on that one, I can tell you that for sure. Uh, one point that many of you do agree with is Kerry was saying about the national outpouring of grief that started uh, after the death of Diana. Many of you don't appreciate that. You think um, that it's the wrong thing, all of this kind of public mourning for strangers. Keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, but I want to move on to what I have to say is quite a bizarre uh, twist in the story. Shamima Begum, uh, someone that, quite frankly, I have no desire to ever talk about or think about ever again. Uh, but I have to do my job and report on the things that have got you guys talking because today there's been uh, a slight development twist, whatever you want to call it call it in that story. Uh, what it is, is apparently there's claims that she's been smuggled into uh, the Islamic States in Syria by a Canadian spy. We're all familiar with the story by now, aren't we? Uh, she went over there when she was a 15-year-old schoolgirl with a few mates, uh, and she's remained there ever since in Syria. Peter Hitchens, I've got to say, I found this quite a bizarre yeah. twist. It's very odd, isn't it? You don't think of the two words Canadian and spy going together very much, do you? It's the, the, the picture that comes into the mind of a Canadian spy is a very odd one. What kind of spy would this be? It's such a nice country. Why would they need to have spies? But anyway, I, I, when long ago, I remember um, you get a lot of very strange calls at newspaper offices, and I, I remember being um, called by somebody about a supposed murder of a man I never heard of in Brussels, something to do with an enormous mile-long gun that Saddam Hussein was supposed to be building. I thought, come on, what a lot of rubbish! I put the phone down on what turned out to be a true story. So I've been very careful since then not to be too incredulous about mad-sounding things. So maybe there are Canadian spies smuggling people into it's Syria. All it's all very It's odd. possible, uh, but, but it's not really the issue, is it? Well, Kerry, um, mm. I mean, let's be absolutely frank. Just for the record, I do not believe that Shamima Begum should be allowed to return to this country under any circumstances. To me, it's very simple. You made your choice, you made your bed, now get on with it. Uh, and I wish, quite frankly, that all of the media would just ignore her and move on with life. Um, which is slightly ironic, seeing, seeing as I'm sitting in the media talking about it. But um, it makes me kind of feel that the next uh, sob story we're going to hear in relation to this uh, person is, oh, she was trafficked, it wasn't free choice, it wasn't free will, then the lawyers will do their lawyering uh, and back she will come. Where do you stand on it? Well, I think you're completely right. And I think, sadly, we've already had that. This seems to be an extension of that. I mean, I already get young people saying to me, oh, she was groomed, she was trafficked, you know, all the rest of it. And you look at those interviews when she was first found in the uh, detention camps, and she was unrepentant about her support for ISIS and, you know, and even for the arena bombing. And the idea that this woman should have some right to come back here and um, 
get our sympathy even. I find, like your uh, viewers, I suspect, absolutely appalling. In my view, she cancelled her own citizenship. Um, if she does ever get brought back, she should be tried as a tra traitor. This is somebody who I... I find it appalling that there is even sympathy for someone who supported, joined in and took part in and married into and all the rest of it and went out to be with. And she didn't, wasn't 18 forever, let's face it, uh, 15 forever, by the way, a supremacist death squad that, you know, beheaded people, crucified uh, homosexuals, murdered Yazidi women. I mean, it's just so beheaded people. It, it's just beyond uh, the pale, the idea that we should be concerned about her. And I think you're right. I would, I would wish it to be a non-issue. Peter, should she just be left uh, no, in it, Syria? It, I don't believe in cruelty. What? I don't believe in cruelty. I don't think that you should be cruel to people. I don't think there's any point in being cruel to this, to, to, to this person. If she's committed crimes, uh, then as a British citizen, which she undoubtedly is, there's no, there's no process by which she, she could have revoked it, uh, then she should face trial for it. And if she's convicted of a crime, she should face punishment for it. But the idea of leaving her uh, effectively stateless uh, out in the middle of Syria for the rest of her life seems to me to be merciless. And, uh, it's where she chose to go. Well, it may well be where she chose to go, but she chose to go at an age when people often do stupid things. I did many, many stupid things when I was that age. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and but you didn't we, support we, the beheading we, of people, we, Peter. Do I support the beheading of people? No, I don't. But I, did, it's, it's, and, and, uh, but I, I was um, a, a Marxist revolutionary, uh, rather like you, I think. Um, and I don't any more approve of that. And where that leads is not so much to the beheading of people, but certainly to mass killing. So I, I, I held views which I would now, I would now not support, uh, mistakenly. And I said things and did things which I should not have done, as all of us have done. I don't believe in this vengefulness towards people. I, if, as I say, if she's committed a crime, then she should be tried for it, and if convicted, well, she should be punished for it according to the law. But I don't think it's what it sounds like. Well, no, to me. Uh, for me, it isn't vengefulness. No, Peter, there are I mean, young you people all over UK, the UK in schools where this kind of thing comes up, and where and three of those three kids all came from a Bethnal Green school in East London. Which is quite frightening that these things happen. Over nine hundred were recruited from Britain in to ISIS. That's frightening. And if we are going to have a discussion about this in Britain, surely we should be winning young people to a more pro-human view and vilification of something like ISIS death squads. Well, we don't, don't get I, that. I, I, we I, don't I, get that. We get called Islamophobic if we even raise I, the issue. I, That's the context. I, I, it's, it's not context-free. Neither is... Uh, not wanting her to have any rights, some sort of vengeful cruelty. Far from it. Well, She's you, not living in horror, is she? I, well, you look at is, the interviews. How is she living? What circumstances? Well, you look at the interviews. What circumstances is she living in? Well, she's got journalists and legal representation, and she's living in a camp which isn't half as bad as some of the places I've seen in the developing world. Well, how would you care to live in it for the rest of your life? No, absolutely not. Well, okay, so, but you would be happy for somebody else to. Peter Hitchens, I'm about to spontaneously combust. Okay, go ahead. I can't believe my ears. 
You're wow. saying we shouldn't be cruel, we shouldn't be mercy. What did you say? Mercy to what? To beheaders. We should, I didn't say anything about being merciful. If people commit crimes, I think they should be punished. But, but you're saying... I, I, I am a supporter of the death penalty. But you're right? saying about why would we be vengeful? Why would you want being, people to live I, in those there conditions? Is so, there, is something, there is something vengeful about this, you know, people turning on something Good. they don't know, don't know and haven't met. I am, I, I, I am a believing Christian. I believe that you should show mercy. Uh, the, the, one of the most significant parts of the coronation service is 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 where, is where, is where the, the the monarch, as he or she is being crowned, is required to say that they will do justice with mercy. It doesn't seem to me to be merciful to abandon someone in a Syrian refugee camp for the rest of their life. No, it's not merciful, and I'm delighted by it because if you. So you're not if, merciful. You don't believe in mercy. Not for certain people. No, I do but if, not. But mercy, it, if it, you it's, it's not. It's not divisible. If you don't believe in it, you can't explain. If you <laughs> pledge um, a, allegiance to an organisation which thinks it's perfectly okay to go into an arena and bomb children that are there to enjoy their leisure, then to me, your, your well-being, your living conditions, I could not care less. If you're going to ask me, would I be comfortable with Shamima Beg uh, Begum living in a horrendous hellhole for the rest of her life? Yes, I absolutely would. I would have no problem with it whatsoever. Because I have no she, mercy because for her. Things that she said. She she agrees with a deaf cult, a deaf cult that has proactively killed children in this country. You talk about mercy, Peter. You've got children. Would you feel merciful if one of your children were at the Manchester Arena watching that concert, enjoying watching their hero on the stage, and then they slaughtered? By an, uh, well, an Islamist. The, pe the people who do, the people who do, the people who do the slaughtering in this country, we, we, we punish people for what they do, not for what they say or what they think. If they incite violence, then that is an action, and that's, that's also punishable. We have the rule of law, which means that if people commit crimes against that law, then they are tried uh, before a, a, an impartial jury, and if they're convicted, they are then punished. Peter, you We have these rules to avoid the rule of the mob, and, and, and you, you're and, sounding ever so reasonable. Savage. We are talking about. A mob. Maybe we I are, am. Maybe we I, are, well, if you, the, we are the, talking the best about response to the mob is not to imitate it. Nobody is trying to imitate a yeah, mob. We have recruitment to a mob that has gone on of young people going over to commit the most heinous horrors against human beings and against this country. And you want us to somehow be sympathetic to people who have gone and done that. I, I do no, not I have sympathy. I have more time and I would grant citizenship to illegals coming over in boats across the channel who I would show mercy to rather than Shamima Begum to be honest, because they are more deserving of our time and sympathy do you, do you, than someone do, do by the fact believe... that she was born on this blob of land but cho chose to kill Western citizens. Do you not believe that, the, 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 that there ought to be justice and that if people... Yeah, well, that's that, fine. That, Let well, the Syrian doesn't, Kurds doesn't, doesn't, try doesn't, her. Doesn't justice involve fair trials and convictions before punishment? Uh, if you once you've once you've stepped back from that, then you're you're basically saying that the the, the mob rules that any kind of committee of public safety can set itself up. Well, she's up. got her wish, though, Peter. She's, you want to go to Syria? Guess what? Hey, Christmas has come at once. 
You're in Syria. No, she, Stay there. she is legally, as I understand it, a citizen of this country with the right of entry. No, she's Saturday changed her mind because they've got defeated where she was. That's why she wants well, to come back. She, she didn't mind, before. I, 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 she I, made it really clear she didn't before. Not, that's not material. If you want, if if, if you want, she's not a UK citizen anymore, to, by the way. Well, Sajid Javid. What, what is she? A so, well, Sajid Javid remo uh, removed her citizenship in 2019, I think it was, uh, which I think was absolutely the right I'm decision. I'm not sure it's lawful for him to. No, it's not lawful to leave someone stateless, but her parents were Bangladeshi-born. Well, Bangladesh has absolutely refused to accept her as a citizen, and it did leave stateless. So as far as I can see, what, 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 what Sajid Javid... I just I find it weird you get so exercised over someone like Shamima. I'm not getting exercised. Well, you are. I'm ex no, on the contrary, I'm the calmest person here. But what I'm saying is that, I, that, that, that that's absolutely what I believe in. When people are angry, that's precisely the moment when you stick to the rules. Well, one of the things that I passionately believe in uh, here on Jubilee Co. is respectful uh, debate, respectful disagreement. If we all had uh, the same opinion, life would be boring. Got to say, though, many of you uh, do not want to see Shamima Begum back in this country anytime soon. Certainly agree with you on that. Uh, that is all we've got time for, though. Uh, Kerry, Peter, lively debate this evening. I've appreciated it, as has lots of my audience at home. So you're very welcome again. Thank you at home for your company and your interaction this evening. Have a wonderful evening. I'll see you same time tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Cur, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.